The following is brought to you by TheKnowledge.com, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for September 8th, 2021. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young here. Uh, We got a couple things to go over. Number one, we have an interview with Jen Briney of Congressional Dish talking about the media. September 6th, horse dewormer. Which I don't, I, I for whatever reason I can't say that right because it always sounds like I'm saying warm as in like I'm I'm heating it up like horse I'm against heating a horse up. Anyway, we we talk about it a lot. Jen's also amazing, and you're gonna love her as you always do. We also have uh, the end of federal unemployment assistance. Why Joe Biden did not push to extend it. His current bind in terms of non-existent political capital and whether or not he is going to face static from his left flank. Also, we've got one week to go before we uh, have resolution, or at least the beginning of resolution, on the California recall that will happen less than a week from as I speak to you right now. And we're going to go over a poll by the Trafalgar Group. Oh, yeah. The Trafalgar Group, the right leaning, at least according to reputation, polling outfit that was recently upgraded to an A rating on 538. They have waded in to the recall, and the results might shock you. You might not have noticed, or maybe it's something that you have dreaded for a few weeks now, but emergency federal unemployment assistance ended this week, ironically, on Labor Day. This is via the New York Times. The $1.9 trillion economic aid package that Mr. Biden signed in March included extended and expanded benefits for unemployed workers, like $300 per week federal supplement to state jobless payments, additional weeks of assistance for the long-term unemployed, and the extension of special programs to provide benefits to so-called gig workers who traditionally do not qualify for unemployment benefits. The expiration date reached on Monday means that 7.5 million people will lose their benefits entirely, and another 3 million will lose the $300 weekly supplement. Now, we're going to get into the maneuverability that Biden has power-wise on this, but let's get into what he has said up till now. We're not extending this. <laughs> this is not going to get extended. 
But if you want to still be getting this money, Biden suggests that you talk to your governor or state representatives. Indeed, he has said for them to continue said unemployment assistance by tapping into the $1.9 trillion assistance that went out to all 50 states. Now, so far, nobody is taking him up on that. Not one of the 50 states, red nor blue, are saying that, okay, Biden, sure, we'll take on that financial windfall, not windfall, the opposite of a windfall. We'll take on that financial obligation. And my guess is that it's because when that money came to the states, as federal assistance to states often do, among the various parts of the thing that it takes to move a state, all that money got spoken for pretty quick. So why doesn't Biden lean on Congress to extend this? Well, it's not because he doesn't like spending money. The guy loves spending money. He and any politician really, really likes giving money directly to the people. It's because he is out of political capital. A reminder that there is a $3.5 trillion soft infrastructure package that is currently being debated in the Senate. And if it does not get to the House, if it does not clear whatever hurdles it's going to clear in the Senate by the end of this month and get to the House by September 27th, then we have a real problem. Because right now there is a self-imposed deadline in the House to vote on at least the bipartisan hard infrastructure bill for which is right now being held leverage by the progressives to keep the moderates honest so they vote for the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. Everything clear? If it sounds like a big old knotted mess, it's because it is. But that also means that Biden can't ask for anything more, especially when this knot that I just described got tighter last week. Joe Manchin put a line in the sand on that $3.5 trillion package, and he didn't just argue that it was too expensive. He said it should be strategically paused, which in the world of congressional legislation and momentum with a bill that size being strategically paused is pretty much a synonym for being strategically killed. Let's read from the mouth of Manchin. Instead of rushing to spend trillions on new government programs and additional stimulus funding, Congress should hit a strategic pause on the budget reconciliation legislation. A pause is warranted because it will provide more clarity on the trajectory of the pandemic and will allow us to determine whether inflation is transitory or not. While some have suggested that this reconciliation legislation must be passed now, I believe that making budgetary decisions under artificial political deadlines never leads to good policy or sound decision. I have always said that if I can't explain it, I can't vote for it, and I can't explain why my Democratic colleagues are rushing to spend $3.5 trillion, end quote. A reminder again that $3.5 trillion is the compromise number for Bernie Sanders, who wanted it to be over six. But let's get back to the situation at hand on the ground for Joe Biden. 
To put it simply, his poll numbers are down. A Republican-aligned polling firm just put out a bunch of results over the weekend showing that in key congressional districts that will very much factor into who takes the House in 2022, Biden is specifically underwater. And a reminder that the midterms, all politics are local. So if that guy is not popular there, it matters more than what his national average is. And that's on the right. Because what's happening now with the eviction moratorium and the expired unemployment benefits will mostly damage him on the left. And let's get back to that eviction moratorium. This is the same eviction moratorium that was about to expire a few weeks ago until he got bullied by the progressives into extending it fruitlessly since it had already been struck down by the Supreme Court and then a few weeks later was struck down again. Well, now it's gone for good and this time without protest from the progressives. The question that Biden has to answer right now is A, what are you doing about COVID? And B, how are you taking care of the people during the COVID crisis? And either of them, he particularly seems to have, at the very least, strong messaging. One week from today, we will have the preliminary results possibly ones that that tell us the full story, on the California recall of Governor Gavin Newsom. Hey, speaking of Biden and Kamala Harris, either of them have made their way out to the Golden State. That was supposed to be where the reinforcements were coming from for Gavin when things were looking a little dicier in the polling. What does that mean? Does that mean that old Gav is in trouble? Well, he's had some better poll numbers recently. And there is a new poll from the Trafalgar Group. Ah, the Trafalgar Group. Now we're getting back into campaigns. Ah, can you smell it? Don't you love it? Now we're talking about the things that campaign podcast talks about, the reputations of polling firms. I love it. Trafalgar Group. Trafalgar Group got redeemed over the past few years. Once looked at as a very Republican and conservative-leaning polling outfit, certainly a polling outfit that has uh, become very chesty in how they uh, defend their own uh, methodology on social media, but yet were elevated to the vaunted A rating by 538 after their accuracy in the 2020 election. Those were state polls that seemed to show that things were closer than other polls did, and largely it was because Trafalgar Group, I think, does a better job of waiting that is like carry that weight, not tick, 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 for conservatives. They seem to be able 
to, to represent them in a manner that is closer to how they will actually show up. Now, polling in one state well, like Trafalgar did in Michigan and Wisconsin this year, Florida, Ohio, doesn't mean that they poll well in every state. But it is safe to say that the Trafalgar group has more of an eye on where Republicans are going to vote than some of the other polling outfits. And it is with that that I welcome you for the first time in a bit to one of our favorite places. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, every other state that would like to recall your governor I'm sorry, but... I don't see how you can hate from outside of the club. You can't even get in. <laughs> this is a Trafalgar group poll taken from September 2nd to September 4th. It has 1,079 likely voters with a three-point margin of error. This is... A California recall. Stepping up first. To the stage. Oh, how many signatures. Oh, how many YouTube videos. Oh, how much outrage bottled from one dinner at a Napa Valley restaurant. Put away the French laundry because stepping up with 43% of respondents is... Yes! Remove! But your headliner. Can the castle be defended? The biggest of blue walls sits bordering the Pacific Ocean. They gotta protect the slicked back gel-haired former Kimberly Guilfoyle X for which is the crown jewel. And indeed, with 53% of respondents, it is no, 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 no. don't That is yes, remove with 43%. And no, don't remove with 53. That gives no, don't remove a 10 point spread. Obviously, that's a very good poll for Gavin Newsom. Trafalgar Group is not. A, a bowling outfit that you would imagine would be naturally tilted toward the Democrats. Although, to be fair, this is the first time that I can remember Trafalgar Group doing a poll of California. And a lot of these, you know, if, if Trafalgar Group is good, 
uh, like any polling outfit is good. It's very often because of their waiting and maybe they have their waiting off here. But still, if you're in Sacramento and you're a Democrat, you are thrilled to see this poll. It looks like Gavin's got this one in the bag. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for supporting this program. It, it means a lot. And we're going to do something a little special. All right. I asked the patrons and the patrons that have responded have, have so far responded unanimously. Next week, recall week, we are going with free HBO. <laughs> I think I'm even going to be calling it free HBO. We're doing the free HBO week. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things was when HBO would do like a free week of HBO. And it was usually around when they were like premiering a movie or debuting the first episode of a new show, something like that. But because my parents were never rich enough to have HBO. It was the only time that I got to, you know, kind of be a rich kid and watch HBO all the time. And I like movies, so I watched it. I was always very happy by it. And so I've always very much enjoyed it as a tactic. And, and I think by and large, this kind of advertisement has sort of gone out of favor since everything's on demand. It's way easier to just give you your first 30 days free than it is to just make the site free for a week. Anyway, on the free version, the free feed of PX3, next week, it will include everything that the patrons normally get. You're going to get the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show. You're going to get the late edition. That means that the show will be four days a week next week. That's the patron experience. That's what you get when you go to take politics seriously and you sign up at the $3 level. Now we'll see. We'll see if this actually converts people by the end of it. We'll see if it converts people for, for this even being attempted. But we're going to try. I want to thank the patrons. If you are not a patron, then it is always free to thank the patrons of this show because it is at their largest that they are opening the kimono and we are going to go with four shows on the free feed next week. It's free HBO. I hope you guys enjoy it. Take politics seriously.com is where you want to go. If you are already excited by this idea and you want to make sure that you lock it in past next week, take politics seriously.com. $3 level, which by the way is $3 weekly, not per episode, $3 weekly, you will get this exact experience. And including this week, including a very good Sunday, Sunday, Sunday episode and the late edition, which by the way, and 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 we're going to talk probably a little bit more about this uh, uh, Texas stuff in our interview, but pretty much the bulk of my conversation about the Texas abortion law came in Patreon episodes. And not because I was holding it or gating it for that, but more just because in in the schedule of how I record things, it takes something 
a massive breaking news uh, for it to, to to break into the Friday show when it comes out on Friday because I recorded on Wednesday. And so by the time that I really had a handle on what this Texas abortion law was and felt willing to talk about it, it was on the Thursday show. So takepoliticsseriously.com, free HBO next week. I'll see you there. Welcome back to the show, Jen. Thank you for having me. You know, I was just on a uh, a show that I do every Tuesday, the morning stream on the Frog Pants Network, and uh, I I got to recommending a episode that I'm pretty sure I recommended on on the main show here, but your breakdown of the January 6th hearings that had already happened leading up to the ones that are happening right now, Uh, but... uh, it's it's amazing how much I, I I keep going back to that episode just to say like, oh, wait, we actually know a lot about this, even as we are getting into a fight with whether or not they can get Kevin McCarthy's phone records. Like we yeah. we know the bones. We know it would be maybe there's a pimple there that we're going to find. But like, I feel like we kind of know the shape of what happened on January 6th. And it was because of your your episode. Well, thank you very much. And yeah, that's it's funny to me to watch all these subpoenas coming flying now out of the January 6th commission. And they're so politically driven, like they're just trying to get the phone records of the other political party. And I'm just so uncomfortable with everything that's happening because I feel like I have all the answers I needed for how did those bumpkins get into the building? Like, I get it. And I think that is what made January 6th different from any other rally or protest is the fact that they went into the Capitol and actually got in. Yeah. And we know how that happened. We know how to prevent it. Um, I mean, it basically comes down to, they never trained, you know, like they never trained for the eventuality of someone trying to get into the building, which is baffling to me. So it's like, Oh, the police need to train for that and actually stop them from getting in the building. Like, okay, we can do that. TLDR, although I, it is mandatory listening for anybody who finds this, if if you are upset by our, our tone on the January 6th commission, if you are thrilled by the tone of our January 6th commission, no matter what, you need to listen to this in full. But the TLDR is, yeah, no one was trained for it. And the system is so systemically broken in terms of reacting to a major issue that it, they weren't able to, to react on the fly because there's a, a bureaucratic system that is intensely stupid, specifically when we're talking about rushing the Capitol, which was obviously a pain point, not only for those in the Capitol, but also for the nation at large. Yeah. Um, my concern with it now, and actually my follow-up episode, the one I just released is I'm looking, especially being this week at being that we're recording is the 20 year anniversary of nine 11. Yes. And so that's obviously on the mind and we just lost Afghanistan. Like it's just at the forefront of my mind. And I have my inbox is full of nine 11 truthers for whatever reason right now. Really? And Oh yeah. Like there's so many. Oh, very much so. And they're very, very passionate Mm. and they want an episode about it. Like it's not going to happen. They want an episode about nine 11, the nine 11 conspiracy theories or or whatever. Because of all people in the universe that's going to figure out nine 11, it's me. Like, no, like <laughs> I'm aware that there's questions, but I don't have the answers. I can't do this. And the thing that I kind of said in my thank you episode to my producers was like, listen, I 
am more concerned when it comes to 9-11 at this point in how it was used because the Patriot Patriot Act was passed in its aftermath and we're still living with the effects of that. So I'm more concerned with how that event turned into some dystopian nightmare that we seem to be living through with the erosion of our rights. And so what I'm seeing is a parallel with January 6th, where the members of Congress were so freaked out about it or they're lying. I'm not sure, but members of Congress now are taking that and using it to expand domestic powers using Patriot Act powers. And so that's what I'm really concerned about. There's, there's some legislation I'm happy to report, like spoiler alert for my episode, but like, I didn't find a lot of these bills moving. Some of them do exist. And so I know the details of them and what to look for in case they get attached to something later. So they're not really moving in legislation, but the scarier part for me is that they don't really need legislation to do a lot more in chasing Americans down using terrorism statutes that were in the Patriot Act kind of sitting dormant and are now because of January 6th, the Biden administration is allowing like actively discussing with lots of witnesses or the Congress is discussing with witnesses, like how do we use this here in America? And the Biden administration has a whole plan. And so when it comes to January 6th, like I would love to have a commission on you know, how was the Patriot Act misused and how do we make sure that it doesn't happen here? Um, and what we're seeing is actually the exact opposite where they are, they're using those powers for, you know, the Patriot Act allowed um, censorship. It allowed um, financial sanctions essentially on just about anyone overseas. And they're trying to turn those powers in on us. And so the more I think about January 6th, that's my concern at this point. It's not and so the larger, the, the larger issue coming out of 9-11 was the creation of an idea that there is a terrorist distinction. And, and mm-hmm. the terrorist distinction is not a state actor. It is, uh, a, you know, more like a, 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 a violent mafia than it is a, a state government with a military, which is traditionally how we looked at foreign adversaries. It's worse than that, though, than because that. they okay. they do have like the the mafia aspect of that, but it's not groups that they're chasing. They say very specifically it's it could be solo loan actors. Okay. So if you look at their definition of people they're targeting, it could be literally anyone. And the thing that makes, you know, the crimes they're trying to prevent terrorism wise different from any other crimes is that terrorism is specifically actions intended to influence policymakers. Yeah. Which to me goes entirely too close to protest, you know? So I'm worried about the criminalization of protest and even the criminalization of like what we're doing. We're already seeing people that are just having conversations on the internet, having their livelihoods taken away and their work taken off the internet. I mean, we're seeing steps of that happening in real time. I, I guess, yeah, that, that's the big question for me is, is when we get into the world of domestic terrorists, and that I think is, is the, the, the troublesome conduit to 9-11 and January 6th is that where are we drawing this line? Like where, because it seems like, and I don't think that this is an entirely unhealthy conversation to have about online powers and dogpiling and, uh, uh, where is, you know, where are uh, online powers and online leverage uh, undue and, and injurious to a person? Like, where is that line between somebody was mean to me on Twitter and my and and, and I'm, my feelings are hurt? And then on the other side, like, 
uh, uh, rumors that get, you know, in India that go wild on WhatsApp and all of a sudden somebody's hung because of a rumor that got started, right? Like there is a, a goal between that. We're trying to figure it out. But I don't know if while we're trying to figure it out, we should also be putting in, you know, uh, uh, criminal penalties of like, OK, and now we're going to seize your bank accounts and now we're going to be able to arrest you before you do something like that. That seems, you know, uh, it seems like a reach for me. It seems like a reach. And what's what is concerning to me is it's not the government doing it. Like like you said, like they're seizing bank accounts. Well, who's they? It's the banks. You know, it's the payment processors. It's our yeah. middlemen that are cutting us off from our funds. So what's what I'm witnessing is the plan is not for the government to do the unconstitutional things. The plan is to have the private sector do the unconstitutional things and then say, well, we're private. We can do whatever we want. And so that's what we're seeing with, you know, censorship of speech. We're seeing more and more with that with payment processors being like, hey, I don't want to get in trouble with the government. It, you know, the Democrats are the, the party in power. They are pushing quite hard on these social media companies in particular, but also now kind of the banks to um, cut off whoever they determined to be the bad guys. And that's the thing, like who is determining who is a bad guy? Like that, that is supposed to be at least have some kind of connection to elected officials. Um, but if we are trusting it with these private entities that are monopolists, really, yeah. There's no appeal process for any of this. There's no one to go to. And if it's being pushed by the government, like we literally, you just have to take it. And um, yeah, that's what concerns me. It's, 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 it's this run around the constitution that's happening through the private sector. You know, there was a very interesting side of uh, a story that was, that was salacious and funny <clears throat> uh, over the last few weeks. And that was the OnlyFans decision to to they briefly for like 72 hours decided that they were going to take away the only thing much in the same. If McDonald's announced that we are no longer selling hamburgers, OnlyFans announced that they were no longer going to be able to host people to have sex on their website and pay people for the privilege to watch it. Uh, they wound up reversing it. But when you really looked into that story, it was not a story of the way it was portrayed as OnlyFans being hilariously inept and deciding that they didn't want to do the thing that everybody knew them for, but rather it was a payment processor decision that they are all slowly going. Uh, and, and part of this is governmentally driven based on some of the legislation that was recently passed to protect people from sex trafficking and uh, uh, keep child pornography off the internet. But the laws have been such that the payment processors are now drawing a further and further line of what they will and will not handle. And if the payment, if we've built this world that effectively runs on digital transactions, if the people that run your digital transactions won't play ball with you, you got a real problem because it's not just, I mean, now you're you're in a situation where you have to like hook up your your bank routing number or whatever or or, or have your pay for your porn in ethereum like there's there there's the you know there there's not a lot of a lot of options there and i think that's what you're getting to is that like we in the background of all of this whether or not we're upset about the political opinions being talked about whether or not we believe people are corrosive or dangerous or toxic or we think pornography is great or horror, like a, a, a element that is ruining society. These are decisions being made by private companies with fairly little oversight in the background. And not only is there not much of a governmental response, or even it, they might be reacting to governmental pressures, but I don't even really even think that we're covering it that well 
in terms of journalism. Like when I was reading about the OnlyFans things, I had to go to like porn industry sites that had like, you know, like cater your next AVN party as their side banner. Like this was like in, in the like, you know, industry, it wasn't a, Oh, I read it in the New York times. This is why this thing is happening. I'm more illuminated. It, it just sort of happens. Your targeted in the background ads must have been cares. real fun after that. <laughs> oh, you know, and uh, listen, uh, uh, we, we all, we all live and die by our own, uh, uh, you know, ad tracker decisions. Sure. And I, you're absolutely right. In fact, when I think about the OnlyFans decision, the more I looked into it, um, it's it wasn't even because the payment processors, they were like, oh, well, we didn't tell them that they had to do this. No, you didn't. But you also took away the ability for Pornhub to payment to process their payments. Yeah. And so Pornhub and Pornhub was like, listen, whatever your problem is, we'll do a content mod- moderation strategy. They actually made one quite quickly after that happened. But now they're only taking payments in cryptocurrencies. Yeah. So if you are only fans, you're looking at that being like, okay, it's just a matter of time. This was probably them being proactive. And it wasn't because they had any problem with the content being put on their site. It was because they were afraid of getting cut off by the credit card companies. And I think Pornhub was a big part of that. So the more this happens, the more people like, you know, you and I are political content creators. Yeah. But I think there's also this thing in the back of our mind, especially if we were taking ads, which we're not, but if we were YouTubers taking ads and doing all of that stuff and someone we know talked about a certain topic, like let's just say ivermectin, since that's like the thing lately. If you even say the word ivermectin, you can have your podcast or YouTube video or whatever demonetized. Well, if we're sitting here deciding what we're going to talk about today, do we even go there? Or do we just go like, how about we just avoid that topic? And that way we don't have to worry about being demonetized. So there is this chain effect that happens in journalism or really any kind of content content creation when you see the censorship happening. Because it's like, you don't want to go for the third rail because it could affect you financially. But at the same time, like those are discussions that need to be had. And so it just leads to this silencing that's even more passive than overtly cutting people off. It's just not... It's not good. The the ivermectin thing is fascinating too, because yeah. it's one of those things that I'm really just like I'm very annoyed with every side of this argument. Like I'm very <laughs> I'm very frustrated by it. Like n- number one, I I think the the fact that everybody ran uh, uh, wild with the like oh horse dewormer horse horse dewormer thing. It's like no, like it is a medicine. Ivermectin is a medicine for humans. Like now in the same way that you don't want people getting pool cleaner and drinking it because they think it has the same active ingredient as something else. No, you don't want people going to feed stores and getting things with Ivermectin. You don't want them getting horse dewormer and, uh, uh, and, and, and ingesting it. But that seems to be a bit of a difference, uh, uh, two different stories. Like there is the, you know, whatever you believe about ivermectin, which is cleared for human use. And, and I don't know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know how dangerous it could be. It doesn't appear that the actual FDA cleared for human use uh, medicine will have tremendous after effects to you. But then again, I know how journalism works. And I almost even wonder like how many people really ate how many people went to a feed store and got horse dewormer 
and ate it, that now that's the entire conversation. Yeah. And so it's like, number one, let's have a reasonable conversation about off-label use of medicine, specifically when it comes to COVID-19. It's the story of our age. We're going to be talking about a million different versions of it, nor do I think that we're going to, anybody's going to come out of this pandemic with a hundred percent success record of getting every opinion right when it came to this disease. So I'm, <laughs> I'm willing to have a conversation about whether or not it's good or bad to take the human version. But it's like, if one ding-dong drinks pool cleaner, if one idiot eats horse medicine, does that mean that that's the entire conversation? Or is that like, I don't know, that used to be the last uh, the, the, the the last story on the local news, like right before the squirrel uh, on, on water skis. Like it's just, hey, this happened. Don't do that. That's a really stupid thing to do. Boom, we're done. Doesn't have to be the entire conversation. Yeah, exactly. And I'm seeing a lot of people piling on Joe Rogan because when he got COVID, he was taking like, a whole bunch of things. And he just mentioned that ivermectin was one of them. So now I'm seeing all these like horse memes with Joe, Joe Rogan, but yet Joe Rogan had a three hour conversation with a doctor who's been treating COVID patients who told him whether it's right or wrong, that he has seen benefits from it. So it's like looking at Joe Rogan's level of, okay, I don't know what to believe, but this is what I was told for three hours by a doctor. Like, okay, like might as well try it if there's no side effects. And what I have seen, because I've been really curious about this, is they don't know yet. They just yeah. don't know. Like they're doing, they, there was a study that said that it could be good. They don't like the way the study was done. And so the studies are being done right now. So right now there are people treating ivermectin as if, oh, you're such a conspiracy theorist taking your horse medicine. And then there's people on the other side being like, it's a miracle drug. And it's like, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. All of these claims, we are way too soon on all this shit. And so we've politicized a medicine. Like we're just out of our minds. Which we did. Well, I mean, we did, we did before. Right. And we did with hydroxychloroquine and, and, and it's like, you know, and that was even more of a situation where uh, people were throwing everything in the wall and, and, and the, I, I could understand people having hope for hydroxychloroquine because you could just get it. Like, like it wasn't something that needed to be developed. It didn't need to go through FDA treatment. You could just have a doctor say this is an off-label recommendation for this medicine and boom, it could be, uh, uh, you know, a, a therapeutic, you know, to this day, I think that there are uh, conflicting opinions on hydroxychloroquine. I will mm -hmm. expect that there is going to be conflicting uh, uh, opinions on this particular drug. But uh, as far as Joe Rogan goes, is everybody aware that he made a career based on experimentally ingesting things that, that before yeah. he was famous for anything <laughs> else? It was like he was the guy who did DMT in a isolation tank, like to expand his mind. Like this is uh, a guy who's don't worry about Joe Rogan. Like Joe Rogan is he's yeah. he is he's taking things far more dangerous than if if Joe Rogan was actually went to the horse store and ate the actual horse medicine. Like I'd be like, ah, that's a, that sounds like a pretty on brand Joe Rogan thing to do. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a guy that I. The the level of fame he has. Is is crazy. It's like 190 million downloads. And he's about as close as we get to a mainstream personality that has total control over what he says. Like, yeah. and, and more so than even a Howard Stern, like, you know, or or somebody else that might have been in that ilk before, however you want to comp Joe Rogan, but like. Uh, he is, uh, uh, it's, 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 
I don't know. I, I guess I just find it crazy that people take him as seriously as 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 they do. Because if, if Howard Stern said I took the horse medicine, like uh, the literal horse medicine, not even ivermectin, I'd be like, yeah, he's kind of a shocking, interesting guy. That's his role in life. Like, I don't know if Joe Rogan's all that different, but uh, despite the fact that Howard Stern was speaking to probably more people, you know, when he was at his height, like we, we, we don't seem capable of saying like, Oh no, that's the, that's the, that person. Now, if you speak to any kind of level of people, and I'm sure you get it too. And we don't, we don't have audiences that they sniff where, where, where Rogan is. There's this idea of platform and, and yeah. what's your responsibility on your platform. And of course, everybody's opinions on your responsibility on your platform happen to align with what they believe, which might not be what you believe. Yeah. Right now, the 9-11 truthers are telling me that I have a responsibility to tell the truth. <laughs> oh, that's happening in my inbox. Um, I think when it comes to Joe Rogan, I, I think that most of the people I've talked to that are just so like against him are getting sound bites from the internet and not listening to his full conversations. I think that's one of the problems with having a long form show. Cause this is something I, I struggle with a little bit is that my episodes are an hour or two, depending on how much I have to say about a topic. Yeah. And so if someone's only listening to the first 15 minutes, I can tell because it's like, Oh, you just sent in an angry email where I addressed everything you talked about 45 minutes into the show. And I think that happens to Rogan all the time where people will see something go viral on Instagram and be like, Oh, he's an anti-vaxxer, but they missed the conversation, you know, an hour earlier or later where he was saying like, no, like the UFC was giving me a vaccine and then they canceled the event. Like I'm not against the vaccine. I just like, you know, whatever. Um, and that's just like one example, but I think that having longer forms with this soundbite culture that we're in, I think it gets us into trouble sometimes. If well, it's, it's I, like people aren't doing nuance very well. So this gets into kind of a more meta idea about uh, the most reliable ways that people can make money in any sort of political world, right? Is to, and this has been the case for a very, very long time. It's just the audience is now a lot bigger, and the methods by which we we deliver uh, uh, the the messages are faster. But you always pick out five or six baddies on either side, and and these are, you know, the the I think people make a mistake when they think that these people are are selected. They're not. They rise to the top. They are what people want to pay attention to, right? And that's why we we get people that are you know, their influence is not gigantic, but like Marjorie Taylor Greene is a celebrity. Mm -hmm. She's a celebrity because uh, uh, diametrically opposite people don't like her, her voice, her CrossFit, her face, her ideas, what she says, her crazy memes, anything, right? But they can't stop themselves from clicking. And she so draws emotion out of She people. draws emotion, same with AOC. Uh, uh, this is, this is just the, the, the thing to do. And for whatever reason, and maybe this is also just kind of dark side of the moon politics calendar stuff, but like Joe Rogan has become that guy. He, and, and, and for whatever mm -hmm. reason he has become that guy on the issue of COVID specifically and like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, just, I have a hard time wrapping my head around it because it's like, Who's going like who's making these decisions on on Joe Rogan's point or you know point of view anyway? 
Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I guess, let me ask you about this. Because we're now in this point with the disease where we've done, by and large, a very good job of vaccinating people. There are pockets of people that are not. Uh, it would be better if they were in, in, in the vaccination effort. But we seem to be in this situation of a, a kind of ever moving goalpost of like, okay, we need to roll. We need to get vaccines out. Cool. We did it. We need to vaccinate our seniors. Cool. We've done actually a very good job of that in most, even the States where, where things are not doing great. We've done a good job of vaccinating seniors. We need to vaccinate adults. Cool. Vaccinate 13 and up. We've done pretty good pockets of not good, but by and large, pretty good. And now you know, we, we still see breakthrough cases. They're granted, they're not nearly as bad as those who, who get it. But like, I just kind of feel like we're, we're in this point with COVID where either we're going to have to decide we're building around this disease. And that's what the new normal is, is the fact that we're building around this disease and we should protect ourselves. We should make sure that we, we, we guard our, our, our elderly, but this might not just go away one day, like, like, uh, we might've hoped with the vaccine or we're just kind of always going to be, you know, well, if just this happened, everything would be great. And, and that kind of fuels a lot of this anger that I think Rogan has kind of gotten sucked up in where he's a person. He's not just a guy who's saying a thing. He's the reason why unvaccinated people are unvaccinated, or he's the reason mm. why people are, are dying because they're not taking proper medicine, even if he was taking proper medicine. I'm not here to, to dissect exactly what he said, but like, that's the stand-in that he is, is, is there's this anger of like, but if we just dot, 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 that I don't know when that ever goes away with COVID. Well, yeah. And I, one of the things that's bothering me about the whole conversation about vaccinations is we're so focused on the unvaccinated in the United States, which we just passed the 75, 75% of people in the United States that are eligible have now taken the vaccine. So we're doing pretty damn good. Yeah. But on the world stage, we still are only allowing a small, I think five companies or something are allowed to make the vaccine. We still haven't issued any kind of waiver so that other countries can have it. So like I have a friend from um, Singapore, he just flew back here for like two months so that he could get the vaccine because he couldn't get it there. Yeah. I know some other people in South Africa, they're traveling right now. They're going back to South Africa because just now she's my age. She's almost 40. Just now she's eligible to get the vaccine. I got mine like seven months ago. Like yeah. it's So we're not looking at it on the world stage. So when we look at COVID, because of these decisions that we've made at the World Trade Organization, protecting the patents of companies that really didn't develop these mRNA vaccines to begin with, because those are the decisions made by the global elites, this virus is still rampaging through the world and still has the opportunity to create new variants. So it's like, yeah, we can focus on the, you know, dude bros that listen to Joe Rogan and haven't gotten vaccinated. But how about before we focus on them, we focus on the fact that there's entire countries that don't have a single dose yet. And that we have wasted millions of doses here in the United States because we've given them out to like Walgreens and like didn't have any, <laughs> you know, big, like requirements big, big of what shots they do at with Walgreens. Them. Big shots at Walgreens. Uh <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, we privatized the administration and it didn't go well. So um 
yeah, we're wasting vaccines here while well, other countries I, I, I don't, don't know. have I mean, them. I would, I, would, I, would, I would push back on it didn't go well because, again, we do have pretty good numbers. The, 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 the question is, I mean, it's, it's like that, you know, do you want it fast, good or cheap? Pick two. And, and we, yeah. we, we certainly did. It went fast. Uh, uh, and by and large is pretty good, but it wasn't cheap. And then part of that is you throw uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of, of doses because you want them to be ready at the time that somebody wants to take them, even if many of them are just going to go to waste. Yeah. And I think at this point in the pandemic, that's a wildly irresponsible way to do it because that's 15 million doses that could have gone in arms. And instead, or what, I don't know exactly. I don't want to say it was yeah, I mean, million, I don't know. It was I, I, think, I, I, I agree with you that the waste, the waste is hard to look at specifically when we are, we, this is a global problem. Uh, this is something that we do need to, to focus on, but at the same time, I can on some level, at least sympathize for it as a problem to politicians to say that like, well, the second somebody in America wants a vaccine and can't get it, that's political death like that. That's True. that. That's the moment in which you have failed to do your job. And ultimately, it is the people of America that are voting for these guys and not, you know, of uh, uh, the bottom billion that do not have access to this. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I am being too harsh on Walgreens. I will tell you, you are correct on that. And the waste here, I guess, isn't the bigger problem. The problem is that these other countries are not being allowed to make use the recipe that we cooked up with our government funds. Moderna in particular was paid for by the U S taxpayers. And so the U S taxpayers, I feel like should be able to give the permission to anyone in the world to make our recipe. And instead we're protecting the profits. And Pfizer of licensed Moderna, Moderna, and Pfizer. right? Yeah. Pfizer licensed it from Moderna. So oh, Pfizer okay. is the, I thought they that's the, the same one that was developed like by the Germans. So okay. it's the same technology. Maybe that's what we, I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same technology, but here in the United States, Moderna is really the ones that us U S taxpayers can take credit for. So I just feel like if the world made sense, we should be able to be like, yo, India fire up your, your factories. Here's the recipe go. Like if we cared about this on a, a global scale, we'd be focusing on the unvaccinated globally instead of you know, we have this pandemic of the unvaccinated shame on you shit that we're doing here in the United States, like shame on Joe Rogan for like saying anything about vaccines. Like we're focusing so much on America still that we need to look at the pandemic on a global scale. And we seem to be failing on that. I mean, I do think that that's kind of our favorite thing. We love talking about it. Like, like nobody loves talking about America more than America, which I, again, look, all politics is local if we're really going to be serious about it. But it's like, uh, uh, that is America's superpower is talking about America and crapping on America. America's the best and America's the worst. And we know it because we're <laughs> Americans. Amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, that's a great thing to go out on. Uh, Jen Briney, Congressional Dish. Uh, what do you have coming up? Uh, right now I'm doing an episode about Afghanistan, the end of the Afghanistan war. And it's very much going to be talking about the role of contractors in that war. Looking back. Uh, that's going to be very interesting. If anybody has not listened to the congressional dish, then uh, please, what are you, you're being, you're being very stupid. I, I, <laughs> I, I condemn you like people condemn Joe Rogan listeners. Uh, uh, I will, uh, uh, I'll be very mad at you if you don't do, go download it because it is essential listening. And sometime in the next two weeks, we will have Jen back on because uh, uh, Heaton, who has uh, spent the last three weeks doing nothing but calling me drunk from Scotland, uh, uh, apparently <laughs> is coming back to the United States. So uh, we will be able to schedule a good classic political triad episode. But until then, Jen, thank you so much for coming on.
Thanks for having me. Politics, politics, politics is written and recorded by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to say thank you to Jen Briney, you can do so at px3guest.com. You want to send us an email? Just so simple, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter, px3tweets. And you can find us on our live streams next week, because I'm traveling this week, at px3live.com. Share the podcast with your friends and family at px3podcast.com and get merch for this show and uh, the COVID shots equals body shots t-shirt at politicsmerch.com. Of course, you can support us with a one-time payment at paypal.me slash payjury on our cash app, px3cash. And of course, if you'd like to can, uh, be a, a member of our ongoing study to find out whether or not Venmo money is real, you can do so by giving me $1 to justin-young-20. Of course, anything physical that you'd like to send me in the mail is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. The only way to get our bonus content, however, is to go to our Patreon at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. The $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss during our weekly podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of each podcast, including these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier. And before I begin, let me just say this is going to be the last week where we are reading the old nicknames. A new survey is out for everybody that is on the $10 tier. If you want to change your nickname, now's the time. Head on over to the, uh, the email associated with your Patreon account. Find the survey, fill that out. We will have new nicknames next week. But let's go ahead with the old ones. Headphones Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the government unfiltered podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley Stephen, Kathy Mag, Zombie Doc, D. Really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle, The Gen, Middle Age Mike, uh, com Junkie, Calamity Zap, D Laser, Lord Scale, the Quince, Anile the Third, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Utah, Jimmy Montana, Chad. Amanda, ye old pinball shop, John Benjamin, DP4 Bongo, Charles, Olin and Angela, DL, Miranda Janelle, Robert Ward, uh, David, Snuffies, Off Route 44, Chris, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, just another pilot, Will, J Pink, and Andrew, and also I'm pretty sure there's a Patrick in there somewhere, but for whatever reason, it's not showing up as a $10 tier. Oh, by the way, if you are giving me $10, make sure you are changing your 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 tier to the $10 tier, because that's how I find your number your name. I, I don't just I can't just search for people that are giving me $10. It's got to be in the $10 tier. So make it easy on me and you and change that. Friday, Friday, we are going to be joined by the money man, Dave Leventhal, who will talk to us about uh, some really fun monetary issues. Until then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, 
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.